let's let's move forward. We are in uh, John chapter twelve. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, two weeks ago when I was with you, and we are in. We're going to cover John chapter twelve, and we're going to cover verses nine through nineteen. So John chapter twelve, verses nine through nineteen. Let me read these verses for us. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might all that, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done those things with him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people... For this reason, excuse me, where where is that? For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard what he had done, that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves... You see that you are that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. Father, we ask that you be our teacher here this morning. Father, we pray that your truth will illumine our hearts and, and change our hearts and our minds and make us different tomorrow because we were here today and we heard your word and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> So here we are, we are near another feast of the Jews, and many people are gathering in uh, Jerusalem. And now the stage is set for what we call and what we know as Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, but even, it says here, before the event, remember last week uh, he had, Jesus had stopped in Bethany at the house of Mary and Martha, and Lazarus, well, word of his presence there has, has spread. And there's a lot of talk about him, uh, mainly because of the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And so uh, many people came to see uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is what uh, they, hey, this man's been raised from the dead. And, you know, and I think when you, when you um, again, as I, I can't help, but every time we read about Lazarus, I think we mentioned this two weeks ago. You know, there's there's no gospel according to Lazarus, right? There's no there's no testimony from Lazarus. There's no written things from from his words about what happened to him. Now, obviously, there's a reason for that. Uh, now, what that reason is, I couldn't tell you. I, the reason is God didn't see fit for that to happen. That's the reason, right? Um, but you know, you just I can't help but wonder my own curiosity. Now, I can't wait to meet Lazarus one day. You know, tell me, tell me what that was like. I mean, we can only assume that when he died, the Bible says to be absent from the bodies of the present Lord. So he went to the presence of the Father. We can only assume that, right? Only to be taken back. Now, you know, obviously we're, we've got, we don't know, but we're just kind of, again, I'm just kind of guessing based on what we know about God in the Bible. Obviously it was a plan. 
I mean, I, I imagine if the conversation in heaven went, well, I'm glad, you know, welcome to heaven, but you can't stay. Um, this is this is for a reason. This is a plan that would uh, that there's been this not a surprise. This is from the beginning of time, but it's for a reason. Uh, the sun's going to be glorified through this, but you can't stay. Now you just imagine as you get to heaven and you get told you can't stay. Obviously, there's God is amazing, and His ways are higher than our ways. And I know that uh, that He worked it out according to His plan. Um, and, and Lazarus was okay with it. Obviously, this this is the plan, right? You don't you don't hear any Lazarus didn't complain. We don't hear any about well, I got to come come back here. Of course, I'd be tempted to complain, right? But because uh, you're in heaven, but we just don't know. And there's a reason that we don't know because God saw fit that it was not to be included, right? That's the reason. So we have to trust that. But I can't. My own curiosity, I just can't help but think about that. So this this amazing miracle, this raising of Lazarus from the dead, has generated uh, a lot of um, uh, of talk. And we see here in verse nine, it says, "Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, Jesus. He was there, and so they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they also might that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead." So again, this is. This amazing miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead, the the just the people. I mean, just that. And you can just imagine if it happened. And wow! I mean, we want to go see this. We want to go see this this person. We want to want to talk to him. Tell us what happened. You know, imagine all these conversations were happening, right? Well, what we know because of this miracle, uh, the Jews have already been plotting against Jesus. We know they can't stand Jesus, right? We understand that. We talked a lot about that two weeks ago, right? What was the reason that we uh, that that it was revealed uh, that the, the the Pharisees were so upset about Jesus? What was the reason? We talked about it two weeks ago. Who remembers two weeks ago? The main thing that was revealed, uh, and it's back in uh, chapter uh, the earlier part of uh, chapter twelve. Or actually, I think it was in eleven. Who remembers? Who remembers? What's the main thing going on? Because they revealed. They basically said in their own words what the issue was. Anybody remember? Anybody? Anybody? What was it? Well, and, and yes, um, verse 48 of uh, chapter 11. The, the Pharisees are, have got a council together and they said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? And this is, this is the crux of the issue for them. For verse 48, if we let him alone like this, if we don't do anything, everyone will believe in him. And then what? The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were extremely comfortable in the life that they were living. Remember we talked a little bit about that, about what the Romans allowed them to do. The Romans allowed a little bit of home rule, and so uh, these folks had a, even though they are occupied, they still had a position, and they liked it. They had perceived authority, right? And they liked it, and Jesus was challenging it. And so they got a big problem because Jesus is challenging the status quo. He's he's changing things. Ah, we, we can't let this happen. We can't lose what we have. We can't lose our position. So, um, so that's what's going on in 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 the in in the the Pharisees' mind. Well, now they've been plotting against Jesus. Well, now they're expanding that because they got a problem. Jesus just raised someone from the dead. If 
he tells everybody about this. It's, it's going to just help Jesus' case, right? So guess what? Now we need to kill Jesus. Now we need to kill Lazarus. we got to get him out of here because he is a huge witness to what Jesus is doing and what he's about in this this world. So they, they've now, it's not just Jesus they want to kill, it's also Lazarus. Someone who's been raised from the dead and they want to kill him. All to protect their position. All to protect the status quo. Verses 10 and 11 says, But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. It's an amazing miracle. Right? <laughs> Truly an amazing miracle. And uh, those who believed it for what it was also believed Jesus because of what he had done. And so the news of the resurrection is spreading around the land. Uh, I'm sure it would be. Uh, this would Imagine how fast news like this would travel today. Uh, incredibly fast, right? But it's, it's traveling, word of mouth. And so it's giving even more attention to Jesus. And so now they got to, hey, we got to get rid of Lazarus as well. Then John writes in verses 12 through 13. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. John says what a great multitude had come to the feast. Now, he doesn't give us an exact number. He doesn't even guess at a number. But uh, this is the feast of the Passover, as we know, as we're told. And, of course, this was a solemn obligation for all Jews. Okay, We have uh, estimates from the historian Josephus that uh, between the years of A.D. 64 and 65, some 2.7 million Jews were gathered in Jerusalem for Passover. So that's, you know, some, some years later. But it's completely reasonable to think, okay, at this time, 2 million people here, maybe? 2 million Jews in Jerusalem who, who are gathered here for this celebration? That's a lot of people, isn't it? 2 million Jews gathered uh, for Passover. So when they hear the news that Jesus is coming into the city because he's nearby, right? Bethany's close by. Uh, what does it say? John tells us they took palm branches out to meet him. When you when we hear palm branches, and we've talked a little bit about these feasts uh, in earlier lessons, uh, because of the use of the palm branch, one might think that this event happened during the Feast of the Tabernacles because that's usually when the palm branches are normally used. That's normally as a part of that feast. But this um, event, this triumphal entry, okay, this is of the events recorded for us in the Gospels. This is one of the few that's recorded in all four synoptic Gospels. Okay, it's in all four of them. And all, all four accounts say it was what? Passover. This is the feast of the Passover. That's, what, that's the time frame. They all agree that that's what uh, is going on here. That is um, the feast at hand. So what's the significance of palm branches? Well, I'm glad you asked because we can talk about it. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this too. Uh, this uh, the kind of little bit of history will build it out a little bit more here. Uh, during the intertestamental times, did I say that right? That's a mouthful. Uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There we go. That's easier for me to say, right? 
something took place in that time that would define the Jewish the Jewish people's national identity for centuries to come, even uh, till today. In the second century BC, the temple was desecrated by Epiphanes. He was a leader of the uh, Seleucid Empire. Okay, so he's he's come in. He's he's desecrated uh, the temple, which is in the Jews' mind that is just almost like the end of the world, right? It's the sacred place. So a very big deal that this guy had come in and done this. Uh, and so in response, uh, a man named I'll say this word um, Matthias. I can't. It's not Matthias. It's Matthias. There we go, Matthias. He was among uh, the Jews, and so he determined, I'm going to rescue the temple. We're going to lead uh, the nation. Uh, we're going to rescue this from the occupation of the Seleucids, Seleucids. And so he became the leader of a guerrilla group. Now, we know what guerrilla groups, right? It's, it's the guys. It's not an organized kind of military. It's they work in the shadows and, and kind of sneak in and attack. Well, they were going to fight to overthrow this occupation. He he died at some point during this um, during this this battle this this warfare between the two and the leadership passed to his son Judas, who became known as Judas Maccabeus. That was his name, which literally means what the hammer. That was his name. Jude, that's a great name, isn't it? Judas Maccabeus. It literally means the hammer. Well, Judas became a national hero, uh, very similar to what uh, we, the, the folklore of, the, of, a, of Robin Hood, right? It's like a Jewish Robin Hood, right? So he's, he's wreaking havoc on these, uh, these troops that are occupied and, and desecrated their temple. He put so much pressure on them that in 164 BC, they released the temple back to the Jews uh, to practice their own faith. The event resulted in so much celebration that they uh, a new feast was instituted called the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights, which we know as what? Hanukkah today. It's still celebrated uh, today. Well, later, uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the first part, right? They gave the temple back. Man, there's so much trouble coming in here. Okay, here's your temple. You can have it back. But they're still there. Okay, but, but they gave the temple back. Well, later, he actually drove them out completely. He kept on going. That wasn't enough. It's not just that we have the temple back. We want you out of here. And so he drove them out completely. He was claimed a national hero, and he was honored and celebrated with a parade. And at that parade, the Jews celebrated with music and with the waving of palm branches. That's what they did. And it was at that point that the palm branch for the Jew became the symbol of military victory. It was a symbol of triumph. That was their symbol. It was so much so that in later in the 60s AD, so this is you know after uh, Jesus, when the Jews revolted against, against uh, uh, Rome, they even dared to mint their own coins. And on the coins, they put the image of a palm branch. That's what they did. So that's the... So... so the Jews, they're gathered, they're here in Passover, they know their history, they know their heritage. And so when the Jews, and this helps understand this whole response, right? This background story, the palm branch, it helps explain 
a little bit about what was going on in the people's mind, why they celebrated when Jesus came into town. So, so when the people waved the palm branches, they're here. They're they're expecting what? They're thinking a military victory. They're thinking triumph. That's what's on their mind, right? And so they 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 wave their palm branches because they, they're good students of their own history, and they welcome in Jesus in the town, and they cried out what? In verse thirteen, it says, "Hosanna." Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now remember what we just talked about. What's on their mind? What are they thinking? Well, why did they say this? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the word Hosanna. Let's talk about that first. The word Hosanna comes from a Hebrew word that literally means save now. Save now. Now, this this is a plea on behalf of the people. Um, so th- this plea, along with "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," are found in the Halal, which is what a series of psalms that are sung during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, the series that we were talking about it starts in Psalm one thirteen and goes all the way to Psalm one eighteen. And in Psalm 118, we find these words. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So every so we got we got two million Jews. Every every Jewish pilgrim that now is in town for the Passover was extremely and very familiar with these words. Okay, so they came out to see Jesus, and so it was natural. It was natural for them to use these words. The cry of Hosanna, or save now, and then they added the words King of Israel at the end. What does that tell you? What's, what are they looking for? They're looking to Jesus for salvation, right? But not the salvation of their souls. They're looking... For Jesus, uh, for salvation in in the military sense, they want him to come in here. They, they've been hearing about him; it's growing. Okay, it's time. Here, here's our man. He's going to come in here. He's going to set up a military um, kingdom, and he's going to run out uh, the Romans, and we're going to have our nation back. Then something. Very strange takes place. Very strange. All this build-up, right? This, this, this gathering, this, this idea of a great military conqueror coming into town and going to run out the Romans. And we see here in verses 14 and 15, it says, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
Again, put your mind, put put yourself in the mind of the people gathered there. Normally, right? They're, they're gathered. They're they're thinking this is a victorious king. He's going to run in here, and and we're going to make him king. But normally, when kings make an entry, what are they riding on? They're riding on a strong horse, right? That's 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 what a big a powerful steed. They come in uh, showing power. It's a position of power. They're riding riding on a horse, but but not Jesus. Jesus didn't come in riding on a horse like they um, would uh, have have guessed. But Jesus, knowing uh, what was ahead, uh, he gave instructions to his disciples to go and get a donkey that had never been written. Now, 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 the other gospels give us more background. John does not include that here, right? The, but we have over in in Luke nineteen, all all the other three gospels give us a little bit more, right? Because what did you, we know from the other three gospels that Jesus sent him out ahead, right? Hey, go into the town, you'll find a donkey there that nobody's ever ridden. Bring that. That's that's what he told him, right? So he, Jesus knows what's happening. Je, Jesus knows what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knows that the people have gathered. And he knows exactly what they're expecting. And so Jesus does something completely different than what they were expecting. Now let's talk about this donkey for just a minute. Most of us have probably seen a donkey before, right? Most everybody, have you seen one? Right? Most we all have, right? We live in the country. We've seen donkeys, right? Well, the 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 donkeys that that people rode and that were used in this time were much smaller than the donkeys that you and I are used to seeing around here. In fact, the donkeys of this this time period in this part of the world were so much smaller that when uh, grown men, as they rode them, often had to bend their knees as they rode, so their feet wouldn't drag the ground. Imagine that sight. You know, that, you can just think about it. That's a little animal, first of all, right? Having to bend your knees up so your feet don't drag the ground. It's probably awkward looking, maybe, isn't it? If you had to, to observe that, you know, almost comical, right? So the, 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 this donkey that Jesus rode was, was small. And it's young too, is what we say. It's never been rode before, right? This donkey never been rode, we learned. So, so instead of this victorious king riding in on a great horse, we have a completely different image, don't we? You can just put that in your mind. You can imagine uh, Jesus, he, he rides into town, this lowly donkey, this little animal. It's almost comical in a sense. But what is he doing? It's a, it's a, it's a visual image of why he is here and what he's come to do. He is, he is very much identifying with the messianic prophecy from the book of Zechariah. We found these words in Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and how the Messiah would come. And this is 
Not at all the picture of the Messiah that the people had in mind. Not at all. They wanted to ride into town uh, and lead a mighty revolt and drive out the Romans. But God came, excuse me, but Jesus came as God's Messiah. Not uh, the Messiah that the people had in mind. He came as the Messiah who was to come in meekness and lowliness and humility. Remember, don't confuse meekness with weakness. That is not the same thing, right? Meekness is what? Power under control, right? Meekness and lowliness and humility. It's it's not surprising that the same people who were there on this day uh, cheering him on were calling for his head in just a few days. Why? Because they didn't give him, they didn't give the people what they were looking for. And so now they got a problem. <clears throat> Dr. Sproul said, this, this should be a lesson for all of us who come to Jesus with our agendas, making our demands of him, only to be disappointed, angry, and sometimes bitter when he doesn't do the things the way we want him to. Hmm. That's hard words to hear, isn't it? Coming to Jesus with our own agendas. All of us have to admit at some point in our lives we're guilty of that. We have to admit if we're honest with ourselves. Notice another uh, important thing here about when Jesus comes into the city. They called him the king uh, of Israel, right? They called him the king. He doesn't deny that. You notice that? There's no... We don't have him uh, denying that he is their rightful king because he is. He is the rightful king. However, by riding on the donkey, this little animal, this little beast of burden, he's showing them that he was the king that God had appointed and not the one that they had created in their own minds. Then John provides this editorial comment, verse uh, 16. He says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to him and that they had done these things to him. Even even Jesus' closest band of brothers, most of them had been with him for some three years, they completely missed the meaning of what Jesus was doing. He was he, he knew the heart of the people and the Jews. He knew the heart of the Pharisees. He knew what they were gathered to do. He completely sends a different message, and even the closest didn't really understand it. But but John tells us what later, after the resurrection, after Jesus and his glorified body, they remembered the words of Zechariah. Then they understood what was going on. Then they they understood. John also notes here in verses 17 through 18, it says, Therefore the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done the sign. Again, the, John is telling us that uh, the the news of the raising of Lazarus had been much, much, much talked about event, and rightly so. Right, it deserves to be talked about a lot. 
And so it was this this widespread uh, discussion, right, of the of that miracle that brought so many people here uh, to welcome Jesus into uh, Jerusalem. Then, then John tells us about uh, the reaction of the Pharisees. Verse nineteen. So they're, they're observing these things, right? They're watching, and the Pharisees, as John tells us, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, "You see." That you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Hmm. They're, it's, they're discussing by themselves because they've been plotting against Jesus for a while now, right? This, some, some months. Uh, they have long, hey, they determined a while ago we got to kill him. He, he's going to mess up everything and we got to get rid of him. And so all their plans they've been making, right? Uh, all their efforts to confront him, to, to catch him in something, or to try to trick him into saying something that would get him in trouble with the Romans, all these things we've been talking about, right? They've been plotting and planning on Jesus, trying to find a way to catch him so they can kill him. Um, they even did what? They warned the people, hey, don't you have anything to do with him? Because if you do, if you identify with him, then you could, hey, you, we can kick you out of the, the, the temple where you can't even, you know, be here. All, all these things, right? They've been warning the people, been threatening the people. Don't have anything to do with it. Well, is that doing any good? No, his, his, his following was growing and growing. And the way they saw it, the whole world was going to soon be following him. That's the way they saw it. But if one thing uh, in this passage, if, if it makes it clear for us, if there's one thing this passage makes clear is that the people's interest in Jesus was based largely on curiosity and false expectations. That's the sad part. That's the saddest part about all this, isn't it? His popularity is growing, but for the wrong reasons. That's what makes this sad. Curiosity and false expectations. They had their own ideas about what Jesus was going to do. And so many times, as as the quote from Sproul, so many times we have the wrong expectations when we come to Jesus. I just reach out and confess he's going to take all my problems away. Um, If I just, you know, say I'm sorry and and come to him in prayer, it's all these bad things I've gotten myself into are just going to go away. Right? And that's, that's wrong. That's wrong-headed. Now, he may do that, but, but nowhere is it promised. Right? Nowhere is that promised. But we, how many times did we come to him in a very similar way? Well, the, this curiosity, uh, these false expectations would very, very soon, within a matter of days, be proved very wrong. Here, here very soon, again, in a matter of days, Jesus would fulfill a mission that he was coming here to do, unlike anyone, even the closest to him, could even imagine. They didn't know what was lying ahead. And so we know that the people would then uh, reject Jesus. But what is the words of Zechariah said about Jesus? He would be rejected, but what? He would become the chief cornerstone. He would become the chief cornerstone. Questions or comments about uh, today's lesson? Anybody?
Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Father, there are some things that our natural uh, curiosity wants to ask. Father, there are uh, things that you have not included in your word. And so, Father, we, um, we thank you for what your word is, though. It is complete. It is perfect. You have given us everything we needed to know. Father, so we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We pray that uh, your word will will go out and do exactly what it is supposed to do. We know it that that, that is a claim you have made about your word. Your word will never return, go out and return void. And so, Father, we ask that you use it today uh, to change our hearts and our minds. And even now, as we finish our time of Bible study this morning at Sunday school, as uh, as we as we leave this place now and we go into our worship, Father, we. I pray that you'll be there with us. Father, we pray that our worship will be uh, acceptable before you. Father, we pray for our pastor as he leads us. Father, we pray for the message that you will that you will speak through him. Father, we pray that you will use it in a mighty way to win many souls. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.